Good morning. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. We will be reading verses 25 through 43. As soon as Rachel had born Jacob, or Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given to you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned from by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall become my wages. So honesty will answer me for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days between journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks, but for the feebler of the flock he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Thus ends the reading of God's word. I, I doubt I have to tell you, that the season of gift giving has arrived in full force. Uh, if you're not aware of that, you need to get out more or watch TV more or get online more, I don't know. <laughs> but for the next four weeks, I think it's pretty much impossible to watch TV um, or get online or read the newspaper without being reminded of our apparent need to spend as much money as possible on as many gifts as possible for as many people as possible. Apparently, we have this nationwide need to do that. Unless they get on a hobby horse, uh, rampant materialism aside, it's good to give gifts to one another in honor of Christ's gift to us, right? That's a good thing. There, there shouldn't be this sense of if I'm buying or receiving gifts, it's like, well, 
you know, Lord, treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven. You can receive and give good gifts on earth because God has given the greatest gift to us in his son, amen? It's good to celebrate that. And as our extended family has grown, you may be doing this too, we rely increasingly on Christmas lists in order to know what kinds of gifts would be a blessing to someone. And my boys have been very happy to oblige and have been spending, I don't know, the last three, four months, feels like pretty much since school started, <laughs> planning and comparing and editing their Christmas list. So regardless of whether you take that approach, I am curious, how many of you are, are really hoping to receive a particular gift or two in the next four weeks? Just hands. You've got a specific gift in mind you're hoping you're going to receive. Anybody? A specific gift? Dare I call somebody out? Darla? A game of sequence? Okay. Ben, can I call you out? You wish I wouldn't. I won't. <laughs> I won't. But thank you for your honesty. There's a fair man. Well, I guess the rest of you just don't really want gifts. So, oh, well. For those of you who were telling the truth or were lying, I have news for you. You might not receive the gift you want. Sorry, Darla. <laughs> you might not receive it. You might not get what you long to get from one of your family members or friends. I'm sorry. You just might not. Okay? And, and there are all sorts of reasons. I was thinking about this, right? And these are all hypothetical. I, I have no personal connection with any of them. Ignorance can get in the way. Right? So, so people around you may have no clue that that's what you want. Forgetfulness can get in the way. Pay attention, Dick Rognes. <laughs> you may have heard that somebody wants a particular gift, but you might have forgotten to write it down. Forgetfulness can get in the way. Assumption can get in the way. I can assure you from personal experience that there's nothing quite so disappointing as a teenager as wanting a video game and opening socks and toothpaste from a relative who assumed years ago that that's what I actually needed. <laughs> they were wrong. Financial limitations can get in the way. Okay, so you could get outbid on eBay or you could go shopping and suddenly realize in, in a moment of delightful sanity, I just don't have the money to buy that. It's too expensive. Even the shipping process can get in the way. Uh, not that many years ago, my wife desired a, a lamp for one of our rooms in our home and somebody bought it for her, but it was backordered, backordered, backordered. And then they finally shipped it. And when it finally arrived, like three, four months after Christmas, you, you know what we found in the box? Broken lamp. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get it replaced. That's a whole story, but but the shipping process got in the way. What's my point? There's a whole multitude of reasons why you might not receive the Christmas blessing you hope to receive. Even someone who really wants to bless you, maybe somebody sitting in this room with you, could, could be stymied by forces outside their control. 
Okay, the blessing that we seek to lavish on each other is, is easily thwarted. And I don't wish that experience on any of you. Okay, this isn't like some sort of bad prophecy. Here comes coal. I make that point because it's a stark contrast to the main point in this text. You know what that main point is? Kingsway, the blessing God has lavished on us in Christ Jesus can never be thwarted. That's the main point. It can't be stopped. It can't be stolen. It can't be shipped to the wrong address, broken, backordered, delayed, or lost. Unlike all the blessings that we may try to give or receive from one another over the next few weeks, God's blessing in Christ Jesus is eternally secure. And it's not secure because you paid extra for insurance. It's secure in Jesus Christ. And there are two reasons for that. Surprise, surprise, this is only going to be a a two-point sermon, okay? What, What are the reasons why the blessings God has lavished on us in Christ are eternally secure? There's two of them in this passage. Here's the first. First, they're secure because the blessing of God is mediated by the Son of God. The blessing of God is mediated by the Son of God. So some quick background here to, to understand where we're going with this. By the time you get to Genesis 30, 25, it's been 14 years since this guy named Jacob arrived penniless in Haran. He got to Haran because his, his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, sent him there to find a wife from his uncle Laban's family. And, and thanks to a bit of cunning knavery on Laban's part, Jacob ended up working seven years for his first wife, Leah, and another seven years for his second wife, Rachel. That was a steep bride price. Way out of control. And it didn't leave Jacob feeling particularly fond toward Laban, who happens to be a man in whom Jacob finally meets his match in this art of deception. And in many ways... That whole experience where I thought I was marrying Rachel. Oh, wait, it's Leah. That was a taste of Jacob's own medicine because he'd been a deceiver his whole life. It was a reminder, church, that God humbles those who walk in pride. But despite his arrogance, God had been exceedingly merciful to Jacob in the span of Some seven years, God had given him 11 sons and one daughter, keeping the promise that he made to Jacob at Bethel. Genesis 28, 13, the land on which you lie, God said this to him, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Now, he only has 12 of them so far, but that's a start. That's a start. And with this service to Laban complete, Jacob is, is eager to return home to Canaan. So I can only imagine that the combination of seeing his aging parents and, and dwelling in the land that God had pledged to give him proved significantly more attractive than staying in Haran with some in-laws who weren't really nice to him for the most part at all. 
So Jacob asked Laban, send me away to my own home and country. Verse 26, chapter 30, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know, Laban, the service that I have given you. A translation, I've held up my end of the bargain. Now give me what's rightfully mine. It was a fair request. It was also a request Laban was exceedingly reluctant to grant. Why? Look at verse 27. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Okay, now, immoral methods aside, Laban speaks the truth, right? He speaks the truth. God has blessed him. God God has multiplied his flocks and herds, not because of Laban, but because of Jacob. Okay, in other words, the presence of Jacob with Laban is the ground of God's blessing on Laban. And Laban, though he's clearly not a God-fearer because he's using divination, looking to evil spirits and omens to try to figure out what's true, surprise, surprise, he still learns what's true, and he comes to Jacob and says, Jacob, what do I have to pay you? Verse 28, name your wages. I'll give it. I want this blessing that's on your life. And Jacob completely agrees with Laban's appraisal, right? Albeit with the added undertone of personal injustice. So look at verse 30. What's he say back to Laban? For you had little Laban before I came, and it has increased abundantly. Listen, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Okay, now I've done this before, and I'm going to do it again. That is one of those statements in the Bible that is so easy to just read on, go through fast, pass over it. Don't do that. Don't do that, okay? Why not? Because the core logic of God's entire program of blessing in the universe is bound up in verse 30. And if you didn't see that when I read it, let's slow down and think about it, okay? I'll say it this way. If, if you want to experience God's blessing in your life, friend, you have to understand the spiritual dynamic and you have to embrace the spiritual dynamic at work in verse 30. So I'm going to summarize, that, summarize the dynamic that we're going to think through the implications, okay? So here's the dynamic, enough building tension. Here's the dynamic. Listen, God ordains the means of his blessing no less than the object of his blessing. God ordains the means of his blessing no less than the object. So think about this, okay? The object of God's blessing is simple. It's the person God decides to bless. Risk of saying the obvious. So what's what's the means of God's blessing? It's the channel, it's the pathway, it's the instrument through which God delivers his blessing to the object of his blessing. God ordains the means no less than the object such that we never become the object of God's blessing unless we're willing to embrace the means of God's blessing. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Let's look at an example. Recall what, what God says to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation, God says to Abraham, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, notice God didn't just say, hey, Abraham, newsflash, all the families of the earth are going to get blessed. They are. He also said what? In you, they're going to be blessed. So what's the object of God's blessing in verse 3? It's all the families of the earth. What's the means of God's blessing in verse 3? It's Abraham. Okay, Abraham and his offspring is the personal means, the mediator through which God will deliver his blessing to all the families of the earth. And God repeats the exact same pro promise to Jacob. The chosen recipient of Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 28, 14, listen. In you, speaking to Jacob, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know what that is? That is exactly what Laban and Jacob recognize as going down in Genesis chapter 30. They're seeing the fulfillment of what God promised in chapter 28. In other words, they're seeing God mediate his blessing to Laban through Jacob. Okay, now, why is that at all important or relevant to you? <laughs> Means, object, okay, okay. How does this apply? Well, here's why it's important, okay, friend? It's important because God's approach hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. He hasn't stopped mediating his blessing through a chosen son. In the Old Testament, what was the chosen son? It was the people of Israel, right? But that created a problem. What's the problem that the prophets kept pointing out? Israel's not faithful. She's not a faithful son. She's not an obedient son. She stopped serving the one true God and started serving all kinds of idols and false gods. And she was justly punished as a result. She goes from being a blessing to being a byword. She failed, miserably failed, in her God-given mandate to, to extend through her corporate fidelity and witness the divine blessing that she had received. She botched that. Bombed it. They didn't even get a, a D. Failed it. And that's why the prophets, they longed for a day of restoration. They longed for renewal. They, they longed for the day when, when Yahweh would make Israel what she was meant to be. What's that? A faithful son whom a faithful God could use to mediate his blessing to the nations. So what did God do? What did God do? Friend, he became the faithful covenant partner that Israel failed to be. He became the faithful covenant partner. The eternal son of God became a man, we're talking Christmas, okay, to, to be on our behalf what we could never be for ourselves. He became what we are not. So he could give us what we do not deserve. 
Hebrews 5 verse 8, although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He wasn't suffering in heaven, suffering on earth. And being made perfect, proved walking out his righteousness, found faithful, fill in the blank, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Notice that he became a what? A source, a means, an instrument, a channel. In other words, under the old covenant, God delivered his blessing through chosen sons of God like Jacob. But under the new covenant, on on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God delivers his blessing through the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ. So track with me here. The method hasn't changed. The mediator has. Okay, but don't miss the main point. What's the main point? God's blessing is still mediated. It's still mediated. It's not something we create for ourselves or earn through our obedience as much as God delights to reward our obedience. Okay, it's something we receive through spiritual union with Christ. And that union, that spiritual connection with Christ Is it something that takes place, a miracle God works through our faith in Christ? John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son. and has given all things into his hand. Listen, whoever believes in the Son, faith in Christ, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, I hope you notice when I read that verse that something's missing. You know what's missing? The word blessing is nowhere in that verse. It's not, and I agree with you, but the idea, the principle of divine blessing is front and center. Why do I say that? Because eternal life in the Gospel of John isn't just unending life. It goes on and on and on. It's, it's not just unending life. It's a life that never ends because it's a life marked by the enduring favor and steadfast love and sustaining grace of God. In other words, it's a life that is truly blessed. Which is why Paul could hardly contain himself in Ephesians 1 verse 3 when he said what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When Jesus says, whoever comes to me, believes me, obeys me, you have eternal life. He's talking about the same thing Paul is. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So in other words, if you want to experience God's blessing, friend, you have to do what? You have to believe in Jesus and express your faith in Jesus by obeying Jesus. That's what you have to do because God's blessings are always mediated to us through Christ. You can't earn them even when our acts of obedience are the occasion for receiving them. Why not? Because our acts of obedience are never perfect, right? The the holiest, most godly person in this room, their best act of obedience in this life, never perfect. Which means what? 
every single blessing you ever receive from God through Christ Jesus, through your faith union with him, is always a gift of grace. Always. They don't come to us because of who we are. Ultimately, they come to us because of who Christ is and because we have been united to Christ through faith such that all that the Father has given the Son, we now have in him too. Translation, the blessing of God is mediated by the Son of God. It's the first reason it can't be thwarted. Now, I want to very briefly make two applications from this principle, okay? Here's the first one, very practically, church. Be on guard, be on guard against the pride that tries to earn God's blessing from him. Be on guard against that. Now, I doubt that this room is filled with people who would stand up and say, I don't need Jesus. I'd rather earn God's favor on my own. Thank you very much. Maybe some of you would. I don't think many of you would. But what do we do? Isn't isn't that what we're saying functionally? When we pat ourselves on the back when life is going well and all the blessings are just rolling in. Or when we, when we angrily charge God with injustice when life isn't going well and the blessings seem to be rolling out. You realize both those attitudes stem from the same assumption, namely that if I do good things for God, God has to do good things for me. Church, that's not grace. That's a legal spirit. That's, that's pride. You can't earn God's blessings. And besides, the greatest blessings God gives us in this life, they're not physical. They're spiritual. They're going to come to physical fruition in glory, in heaven. But we're not there yet. And so that means the litmus test for whether God has blessed you in this life is not, do I have health, wealth, and prosperity? Okay, put simply, the fact that God used Jacob to give Laban a sizable herd does not mean that God is going to use Jesus to give you a sizable paycheck. (laughs) It's not what it means, okay? Riches are not the defining mark of God's new covenant people. You know what the defining mark is? It's the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, friend. It's not riches without. It's riches within. If you want to discern the blessing of God in your life, don't look at the size of your paycheck or the behavior of your spouse or the reputation of your kids. Okay? Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because where faith in Christ is present, the blessing of God is present. And where the blessing of God is present, the fruit of the Spirit is present. It's visible. So we need to guard against the pride that tries to, to earn God's blessings the way we define them. Okay, here's the second application. Be on guard against the pride that doesn't just try to, to earn God's blessings from him, but here's the second one. Guard against the pride that would try to deliver God's blessings for him. There's two species of pride here. The second one tries to deliver God's blessings for him. Now, 
you, you got to listen carefully for this one because this is tricky, okay? Think with me. Does, does God continue to use his people today as an instrument of blessing to both one another in the church and the entire surrounding world? Yes. <laughs> yes. Confident yes. Absolutely. Does that mean the ministry of discipling, parenting, pastoring, witnessing, or any other form of loving our neighbor should be marked by a crushing sense of responsibility where we feel like if, if we don't come through, if we don't find some way to take this thing called God's blessing, get it in this person's life, then we failed. Absolutely not. Brothers and sisters, God will use you to mediate the blessings he purchased through the blood of Christ to the people around you in spiritual and material ways alike. But do not forget, God is the mediator, not you. Jesus is the mediator, not you. Even, even when we appeal to someone, turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ, it's not you making that appeal, it's who? God making his appeal through you. So God will use you to deliver his blessing, but remember this, he's still the one making the delivery. It's his delivery. Remember that, rest in his power and, and leave the weight of responsibility for the outcome of your words, the outcome of your deeds, what happens in that child's life, that friend's life, that spouse's life, on the mediator's shoulders. Why can the blessing of God, lavished on us in Christ, not be thwarted? Reason one, because the blessing of God is mediated by the Son of God can't be thwarted. It's mediated by the Son of God. Here's a second reason, okay? Second reason. The blessing of God is protected by the power of God. It's like it just keeps getting better. <laughs> Where's this? Was a type of Christ, because that's who Jacob is, he's mediating God's blessing to Laban, and Laban recognizes as much like we said. So he says, Jacob, I'd really like you to hang around, not because I fear God, but because I like big herds. So what's it going to take to keep you? And Jacob's reply is pretty shrewd. So look at verse 32. All right, Laban, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. I mean, you just can't help but wonder how long had he been thinking about this? <laughs> pretty detailed. Well, if that strikes you as weird, I think it might in part because we, we're not familiar with ancient Near East culture. And in that time, goats were typically black or dark brown. And sheep and their lambs were typically white. That's an easier one. So Jacob's not asking for a large share of Laban's flock in exchange for his continued labor as a shepherd. The multicolored animals were, were a really small percentage. We're talking like all recessive genes, okay, for you bio people out there. 
And Laban likes the sound of that, though he knows nothing of genetics. So he quickly replies in verse 34, what's he say? Good, let it be as you have said. But what does he do? (laughs) He's not even content to give Jacob a fraction, a small percentage. So he tricks him again. Only this time, it's not so much an act of, of cunning deception as it is an act of blatant injustice. He, he withholds the wages he promised to give Jacob by sending all the multicolored animals away and putting them in charge of his sons and leaving Jacob with all the monochromatic animals. Nothing speckled, spotted, or striped, or whatever around Jacob. Mwahaha. And I think it's worth the church to, to pause there and imagine what, what was Jacob feeling? I mean, Genesis gaps this, but I don't think it's hard to intimate it. We, just when he thought he was finally going to be able to provide for his household, Laban strikes again. The schemes of man get in the way again. I I, I couldn't get Rachel without being raked over the coals. I can't even get a tiny flock of multicolored animals without being raked over the coals. Is anything ever going to work out in my life the way it's supposed to. Every time it feels like God is about to bless me, some stupid guy gets in the way. The boss gets in the way. This child gets in the way. This husband gets in the way. This illness gets in the way. This church crisis gets in the way. And Genesis doesn't tell us exactly what Jacob's feeling in verse 37, but I don't think it needs to. That The sense of alienation and separation from the blessing of God is, is palpable. It's also a common Christian experience. Do you ever stop and wonder, why, oh why, does God allow obstacles to seemingly delay or deny some of the blessings we long to experience? You ever ask that question? Well, God doesn't always tell us what we would like him to tell us when we ask that question. But I'll tell you this, because God reveals this. What happens next reveals the satisfying splendor of God's sovereign power and justice in an infinitely greater way than if Jacob had just had smooth sailing. Remember, church, God's highest priority is not making your life easy. His highest priority is glorifying his name by leading you to delight in his beauty. That's what he's after. And sometimes the Lord protects that blessing by by turning the tables on our spiritual enemies, sustaining our fragile faith in the midst of even lifelong suffering. Sometimes the Lord protects that blessing, seeing his beauty, delighting in his beauty, by turning the tables on our physical enemies, enabling us to prosper in this world despite our enemies' best attempts to keep us down. 
Jacob in his life actually experienced both forms of protection, but it's the physical provision, the physical protection that's the focus here in chapter 30. So what happened? What happened? Look at verse 37. Jacob puts multicolored sticks in front of the strongest animals when they come to breed at the watering trough, and they give birth to multicolored offspring. Now, as a chemistry major, let me head off your idle musings by letting you know that the point is not that Jacob found some kind of magical way to influence the breeding process and the genetic outcomes. It's not the point, okay? We, we have yet to find any sort of scientific link between peeled sticks and recessive gene expression. <laughs> Nor does Genesis assert some kind of scientific link. Did you notice that? It simply says, this is what Jacob did, and this is what happened. This is what he did, this is what happened. The strongest animals kept producing multicolored offspring, causing the number of Jacob's animals to increase, and the number of Laban's animals to decrease. Look at verse 43. Thus, the man Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So if you read verses 41 to 42, it's clear selective breeding practices certainly played a role in Jacob's abundance. He, he wasn't passive. He was seeking to live wisely and carefully. He was working hard. But in the context of this whole chapter, and in the context of everything God has done in Jacob's life, listen, the ultimate cause of his prosperity is very clear. It's not peeled sticks. It's the sovereign power of God. It's the sovereign grace of God. It's, it's God keeping his promise to bless Jacob, just like he said he was going to do back in Genesis 28 at Bethel. And, and if you didn't notice this, the word that we translate, look at verse 43, increased greatly is the same word God uses at Bethel when he promises Jacob 28:14 you shall spread abroad or increase greatly to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south he's fulfilling a promise that's the point it's it's the sovereign grace of God toward Jacob and the sovereign justice of God toward Laban that causes Laban's wealth to progressively become Jacob's and so the main point is really hard to miss okay if God is committed to blessing you there's not a human being on the planet that can get in the way of that that's the main point okay but sometimes it doesn't feel like that, right? Sometimes it feels like a specific person's sin is just destroying all that is good and beautiful and, and wonderful in your life. It could be someone on your sports team that's always tearing you down. It could be a child in their home that seems to be doing, whether they are three or 30, their very best job to make your life miserable. <laughs> It could be a coworker who makes disparaging comments about your ethnicity or a friend who refuses to acknowledge the way they've hurt you or a spouse who after years of following Jesus decides to turn away from the Lord. Maybe some of you have an employer who like Laban takes advantage of you 
and refuses to treat you fairly. Friend, regardless of the situation, human opposition forces us to answer a very simple question. Very simple question. Here's the singular application of point two. You got to answer a question, okay? How big is your God? How big is your God? Is he a pawn in this world? Jostled about by the actions of men? Or is he who he says he is? A sovereign king who has made an indelible promise written in blood that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things yet to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you, Christian, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that who he is? He's not a pawn. He is God Almighty. He's your Savior. He's your Redeemer. And he has sworn that promise to you in his blood. If you're in Christ, if you've been united to Jesus by faith, such that the unmerited favor of God is now mediated to you by the Son of God, point one, then point two falls right out of that. There is not a Laban in the universe that can prevent God from mediating that blessing to you in Christ Jesus. Not a Laban in the universe. God isn't delayed, deterred, threatened, stopped, or remotely challenged by the opposition of men. He does whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, however he pleases. Always. I was thinking about an illustration of this that just came to my mind this morning. I have a seven-year-old son named Micah, and Micah and I like to play a game called Man Strength. You look very strong. What's, what's up with man? Well, here's the way it works. Okay, I wish he was here, to, but I didn't, he needs to be in class. So, so anyhow, picture Micah, and he is pushing on me with all his might. So he's got his hands like right here, shoving in my stomach. I've got my hands on his shoulders, and I, I'll come downstairs in the morning and say, Micah, man strength, and we lock in like this. And so he's pushing, and I'm pushing, and Micah is pushing as hard as he can. And he's convinced, though he's growing older and learning otherwise, that he's keeping me from moving that way. You know what he's starting to learn the older he gets? That's an illusion. If you're just watching man strength, it might look like this seven-year-old little kid, though he's getting really big, <laughs> is keeping this dad from going that way. I mean, I'm grunting, I'm grunting. But that's not real. It looks like Mike is stopping me from doing what I want to do. But it's an illusion. Friend, if you're in Christ Jesus, 
That's who every human enemy in your life is like. They might look like they are holding back the tide of God's veritable blessing on your life. But at the moment, God says, we're done. <laughs> Just like I do with Micah when he least expects it. Roar! And he goes all the way and it flattened him into the fridge. It's a small picture of what it's like for God to wait. I mean, we laugh about this, but this hurts sometimes when he does this, right? This is hard when God waits to prove the triumph of his blessing. But this we know in the wait, friends, it's not because he's outmatched or outclassed. It's because he's sovereign and at the right time, in the right way, God will prevail. When you feel like the will of another human being is standing between you and enjoying the blessing of God, you need to focus on a very simple question. Is that person God or is the Lord Almighty God? Very simple. Which one is worthy of your trust? Which one is worthy of your confidence? Whose will ultimately prevails? And brothers and sisters, I remind you in closing that the word of the Lord to Jacob is the word of the Lord to you. Genesis 28, 15 Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The blessing of God is, is protected, if you're a Christian, by the power of God. In Numbers 22, there is a Moabite king named Balak who hires a rather shysty prophet named Balaam to curse Israel. To curse the people of God. And listen to what Balaam says in response, despite his best attempts to get the money and pronounce the curse. Balak, how can I curse whom God has not cursed. There's not a human being in your life who can curse you if God hasn't cursed you. How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Behold, Balak, I have received a command to bless. God has blessed and I cannot revoke it. The Lord their God is with them. If you're a Christian, the Lord your God is with you too. And the blessing God has lavished on you in him cannot be thwarted. It's mediated by the Son of God. It's protected by the power of God. And so if you want to experience God's blessing right now, every day, for the rest of your life, what do you need to do? You need to trust Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. You need to cling to Jesus. You need to keep on trusting Jesus and clinging to Jesus because you will not find blessing anywhere else, friend. You stay with Jesus. You stay with the mediator. You stay with the one who is protecting his people. And you, my friend, you fearful saint, are going to be just. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That you don't play man's strength. You are a God of strength. What you purpose comes to pass. And because of that, we are protected in you. Thank you, Jesus, that, that when you say nothing can separate us from your love, it's not nothing can separate us from your cold and mechanistic sovereignty or your imagined plan that seems good to you but is terrible for us. Lord, thank you that, you that you've promised us, you've assured us, nothing can separate us from your love, from your blessing, from your goodness. Thank you for mediating your blessings to us in Christ and for protecting them by your power. Help us to cling to Christ. Amen.